Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The fallacy of the Messianic secret is based on a presupposition that openly contradicts the teaching of Mark. Mark's Gospel. While scholars assume that Jesus is preoccupied with his identity and secrecy, in the text of Mark, Jesus is in a big rush to preach to as many people as possible, in as many places as possible, and he wants his followers to do the same. He does not want them to sit around and be amazed with him and his acts of mercy. He wants them to hear the gospel and to do the same work he is doing immediately. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 45. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 146 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We made a good decision when we chose to work through 1 and 2 Corinthians before moving on to the Gospels. Because once you make that effort and you follow that progression, which interestingly enough is how the liturgy functions in the Eastern Church, you don't just go to church and hear the Gospel reading. You first hear the epistle of Paul, and then you hear the gospel, because the gospel is working out what was taught in the epistle. And that's exactly what's happening in Mark with this question of people's amazement and the fallacy, what I call the fallacy of the messianic secret. You have this motif in Mark where Jesus keeps telling everyone not to rush off and talk about things. In scripture, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is irritated with the church because they're vacillating on the basis of his personality. Is Paul a wimp or is Paul amazing? And all Paul keeps telling the church is whether I'm a wimp or whether I'm amazing, what matters is the content of the gospel and whether or not you follow it. People are getting amazed and their amazement betrays their ignorance. It betrays their lack of dedication and it betrays their bad priorities. Because if you're truly amazed, you won't go up and brag to your professor about how amazing he is or how wonderful she is. If you're truly amazed, you will apply the knowledge you've received in the real world and demonstrate that you're a disciple of your teacher. That's the mechanism at work here. So when Jesus, at the end of the section we're dealing with today, poo-poo's people going off and talking about how wonderful Jesus is, he's trying to correct this problem. So I want to be clear on that before we even jump in. And immediately, there's that beautiful word again, ephes, immediately. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So here you have the progression into Galilee, into the synagogue, which is the Pharisaic tradition. But now 
the light is leaving the synagogue also. Just because now he's landed with the Gentiles, the Gentiles aren't the new Israel. So just when you think Mark is telling you that the Gentiles are the good guys, the light leaves the synagogue and it goes to the house of Peter, James, and John. Now, if it's coming to the house of Peter, James, and John, it's not because they're great. It's because they need to receive the light. If the Lord is coming to you, it's because time is running out for you and you need to hear the message. A listener reached out to me this week with a question. Actually, they were asking about the Gospel of John, and here we're dealing with Mark, but it's the same question, which is the brothers Simon and Andrew. Why would one have a Jewish name, Simon, and one have a Greek name, Andrew? If normally a mother would name their children with the same nationality of name, it didn't make sense. And I reiterated to him that this is a question of functionality. The name's function. The fact that you have as a main topic in the New Testament this downplaying of national identity and unity through table fellowship and Torah, this is what it's doing. You have the Jew and the Gentile as brothers. Jew and Gentile function as brothers as they sit around Torah. And here, sitting around Torah is following Jesus. Jesus functions as Torah for them as they sit around and listen. This is why it's important to be honest with ourselves about the movement, proximity, and locality of Jesus in the text. He goes into Galilee of the Gentiles, does a pit stop at the synagogue, because the synagogue is there to bring the Torah out among the nations, and then he moves out of it, and he goes into a household that has insiders that now have both a Jewish and a Greek name, which means that this is what the word is doing. Now, don't tell me, oh, is he going out to bring people of the nations in? Not in the way that you mean bring them in. Because the way you mean bring them in is the way James and John and Peter mean bring them in, which means to make them do-paying members of our temple. No. No, that's not how it works. You bring them into Jerusalem, so to speak, but not the earthly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, which broadens its tent in Galatians to include the whole world. So no one is being brought to the city of Jerusalem. It's all metaphoric, meant to emphasize inclusivity. This is what Ezekiel is doing. Ezekiel is saying, can't touch this, can't control this. So Jesus begins in Galilee, and then he doesn't even bother to go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jordan to go visit John. Then he goes back to Galilee to go to a synagogue where we have these kinds of outposts of Torah outside of the temple so that the Torah can reach anybody without having to travel all the way to Jerusalem. That is learn and hear Torah outside of Jerusalem. And then he goes to Galilee and he meets these fishermen. He brings them along and then he goes to their house, the Jew and the Gentile, Simon and Andrew, in order to continue to show that the Torah has to be outside of Jerusalem. Human beings can't touch Torah. Torah goes around and exists on its own. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. So they immediately spoke to Jesus about her, and he came to her. The word of the one who is suffering comes to Jesus, who is Torah, and then Torah comes to her, and she's made well again. This is the function of Torah. When 
you are in dire straits, Torah can come to you, and through Torah then you can be healed. And what's interesting is that after the fever left her, she didn't weep, she didn't smile, she didn't dance. She waited on them. She waited on Torah and its disciples. She served. She became obedient. Now, one thing that's really important to point out, and it's an example where the English serves the Greek, we keep hearing this word immediately, ephthys, 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 ephthys. Because this is not something to be, once again, deliberated. It's a zero-sum question. Either you hear the word of God and go for it, or you don't. Now, the mother-in-law of Peter, after she was healed by the teaching, made the decision to serve. Just like Jesus, realizing she was in trouble, didn't hold a parish council meeting to see whether it was economically feasible to support something. He simply said, there's work to be done, and he did it. This is not a secondary element of this text. The urgency of the gospel, the urgency of the work of the Torah in Mark is a big deal. Ephthys, ephthys, ephthys. Jesus talks about the urgency of his mission. And also we have to see what's the reaction that people have when they receive Torah. Because we saw with Simon and Andrew, as soon as they received it, they dropped their nets. And they went. Immediately, like you say, Father, immediately responding to Torah is what is of the essence. You don't listen to Torah, go home, think about it, smoke your pipe, and then come with a decision, yeah, I think I'll believe it. No. no, you have an action to perform immediately. Make a decision, get it done, we don't have time for nonsense. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. Again, as we said last week, the demon-possessed are the untaught. Those are the ones that no one has discipled and mentored in the wisdom of God's teaching. You have to understand, demons and thoughts are related in the Roman world. I mean, demons are the ones who give you the thoughts that make you think that you're the best, that make you think that you have got things figured out, that you can do what you want to do, that you can be an individual. These are thoughts that come from demons. Demons are these errant thoughts. And Jesus has to cleanse the demons by inserting Torah because Torah will keep thoughts on the right track, will keep your heart, which is the origin of thought, keep your heart where it needs to be. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Again, repeating this point, that once you're baptized, you have a function in the body in 2 Corinthians, but your function is not to speak. The only one who speaks is the one who is reading to you the content of the teaching. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one who carries the Bible to the nations. That is how Jesus functions in the gospel. Only Torah can speak. When Torah is in the same room as demons, when the correct way of thinking and acting is in the same room as the incorrect way of thinking and acting, only Torah can speak. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house. Okay, I want to pause in the middle of this verse. I'm just letting the readers know where I'm pausing. Again, he's leaving the house. He goes where he wants. You cannot control Jesus. You cannot control the spirit. You cannot control the teaching. So in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. 
Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Katadioko in Greek means to search and sometimes carries the connotation of hunting. So Jesus is moving and Mark is telling you can't touch this and the pillars, Peter, James, and John in Galatians are named as the pillars, the opponents of the gospel. The pillars are hunting Jesus down. Everyone's looking for you. Why do you keep moving the cheese? We need to put you back in a box and drag you to Jerusalem where you belong. You see what's going on. We know that Jesus has already delivered Torah to them. And he says, everyone is looking for you. And what's the response? I need to go to the other towns to preach. Everyone's looking for you. Well, what are they looking for him for? They heard his teaching. He's delivered the goods. Moses made copies of the scroll in Exodus. What's your problem? They have what he had to bring to them. And Jesus did not lose time. In the early morning, while it was still dark, he's like, my work is done. I have to go to the next town. Jesus does not waste time. I like how you mentioned this, Father. I'm going to say it again. The immediacy of Jesus' mission to bring the word to as many people as possible before he dies is the only thing he's concerned with. They're looking for you, Jesus. What do they want from me? I already got rid of the demons. I healed them, and they got Torah. What do they want from me? It's time for me to move on. And this is the thing, is people can sit, and they can look, and they can gaze at Jesus, and they can be amazed at how Jesus is, and just think of the glory of Jesus. What's the point? There is no point. The point is, do then what he says. The point is what happened to Simon's mother-in-law. Simon's mother-in-law did not stand and look at him and was amazed with him. She got him something to eat. But, she waited on him. But this is what Christianity has become. A bunch of people standing around talking about how amazing Jesus is. And because of that, Christianity has become the laughingstock of the Western world. As Paul says, the Lord's name is a joke among the nations because we're acting like a joke. We have to get down to business. If you know this is correct, why aren't you leading a Bible study? Why aren't you challenging others to like work on this teaching? And if you can't read, why aren't you working at a local food shelf? Either we are in or we are out. There's no middle ground. Ephthys. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. So again, while the men of Galilee, as they're referred to in Acts, are staring around looking for Jesus, Jesus is actually doing the business of his father. Jesus moved on. He moved on. He came in. He preached. He gave the word, cast out demons, replacing the wicked thoughts, the selfish thoughts, the thoughts of self-preservation with the correct thoughts of Torah. That is his job. That's what he does. Then he moves along. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And this expression, I am willing, it's the thelima, thello, I will. It's technical language. It's not, do you want to? It's, do you will it? Meaning the way God wills the heaven and the earth. If you don't will it, if it is the Lord's will that I remain a leper, so be it. It's a beautiful interaction here with Jesus and the one who's well, the, the outcast. The leper is the outcast. Well, and the leper cites a truism. 
if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's simply making a statement about the power of the word. Now, he does not presume that the word is then going to act in a particular way. He does not presume on the word. He simply says what the word is willing to do, the word can do. In Hosea, there is no justice, mercy, or knowledge of God in the land. And when there is this knowledge of God, that God can do a certain thing, the word, Torah, the teaching of God can do this thing, then there's mercy. And the mercy then goes to the leper, and the leper is cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately, Ephthys sent him away. So, this is the same thing that happened in the synagogue. In the synagogue, Jesus taught, Jesus preached, Jesus healed, and then went on. Here, Jesus cleanses, Jesus teaches, and sends the guy along. Jesus does not have time to sit around and gab about, wasn't that cool what I just did? You have to view Jesus here as a priest in an Arab village in the middle of nowhere. And he goes around visiting people in the village, and he keeps saying, yalla, yalla, which for those who don't know is like vamanos in Spanish. Let's move, let's move, let's move. When you hear the word immediately, or ephthys and mark, Jesus and Mark are saying, Yalla. But look at how Jesus moves. Jesus comes to the house, they, and as soon as he preaches, hey, people are looking for you. I, I'm, it's time for me to go into the next town. The leper comes and he's healed. Go! Go do the next thing. We don't have time. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, and this is Leviticus, go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And in Leviticus, when you have the instruction for how to deal with a leper, it's all about teaching the priest under the Levitical code and the community under the Levitical code to be merciful to the leper, even if it means you will get sick. Because the tendency is to just put the leper on the outside, but Leviticus, in God's mercy, forces the priest to keep examining the leper several times to be certain, to make sure you're not just casting someone out. And you have to care so much about this leper that you're willing to get sick yourself conducting the examination. So he is teaching this mercy, but he's not saying it here. You wouldn't know that that's the mercy he's teaching, that Jesus is evangelizing, unless you had read Leviticus. So all of these Christians who try to explain to me that you don't need Leviticus, it's your loss. You have no idea what you're talking about. And the Jesus that you talk to is not the biblical Jesus. It's the Jesus you make up in the vacuum of Mark, which does not tell you what Jesus teaches. You have to read Torah. But notice what he says here. He says, go. Get out of my face, leper. Yalla, I've, I've already healed you. Your next step that you need to take is to do what Moses commanded. He didn't have to say that to Simon's mother-in-law. She just began to serve immediately. But with this leper, he says, go do what Moses commanded as a testimony to them, as a testimony to the word, because Jesus is not about himself. Jesus is about his teaching. That's why when people are excited and want to have a chat with him after that great session, and wasn't that really cool, Jesus, he's gone already because it's only about the word. And this is what he's trying to impress on this leper. It's not about you being healed. It's about me creating a testimony to the commandments of Moses. I am trying to 
re-emphasize. I am trying to establish the legitimacy of Moses among the people who don't understand Moses. You need to go to the priest for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to the words, the commandments that Moses gave. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Notice, Jerusalem wants the word to come to Jerusalem so that they can pin it down and everybody else is flocking to the word. Look what happens when the leper disobeys Jesus. When Jesus says, do not say anything to anyone, but go to the priest. So then what does he do? He went out and began to proclaim it freely. The result of that was that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. This is a problem. Jesus's job is to deliver Torah to as many people as he can. But because the leper was a blabbermouth, Jesus could no longer enter the city because they were flocking to him. The mobs were keeping him from entering the city. This is a problem. So the leper's disobedience got in the way of Jesus's single task, which is to deliver the Torah to everyone. And what did he have to do? He could no longer enter a city. Now, is this a problem? Probably not, because so many times we talked about in the city, that's where things become corrupt. Jesus often spends time outside of the city. The problem is that inside the city, they want to possess Jesus, they want to hold Jesus, they want to keep Jesus, and they end up actually blocking Jesus' ability to bring Torah. So what does he have to do? He has to just stay out in unpopulated areas, and then people came to him from everywhere. And this is the point. When God in Ezekiel wanted the word to reach everybody, he found somebody in the wilderness at Kabar, dropped him off in Jerusalem, he was able to see all the bad stuff that was happening there. And then he picked him up again, dropped him off in the wilderness again, and he spoke to the elders. And so God picks the person from the wilderness to come speak in the city, not the person from the city to come speak in the wilderness. Jesus is blocked from the city because the people in the city don't understand what his job is. The leper does not understand what his job is. Nobody understands what his job is so far except the mother-in-law of Simon, who drops everything and serves him. This is what it takes. But the point is to listen to the word and to hear the word. And so they were coming to him from everywhere. Maybe good news. It may be bad news. It all depends on what do they do once they come and see him. Do they ooh and ah? Do they blabber around? Or do they listen and serve? Do they listen and do the word of Moses as a testimony to the commandments of Moses? At the end of the day, what Mark is saying is... Read the Bible and do what it says. And guess what? If you want to read the Bible, these days, Mark is more true than it's ever been because you can have it on your iPhone or your Android in multiple languages. And you can even download it and you can be out in the wilderness where there is no data coverage. And now that the iPhone is waterproof, you can read the Bible in the shower. <laughs> or underwater. So what is your problem? And there are even apps for the Apple Watch that allow you to read the Bible on your watch if you're too lazy to take your phone out of your pocket. So please explain to me why you don't have time to read the Bible anywhere. So don't be excited about how wonderful it is to encounter the Word in every place of creation. Read it and do it. Have a great week, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.